Hi, and welcome back for another episode of Scary Stories to Tell Your Sister. We're your sisters, Dana and Megan, and each week we'll take on a deep dive with us as we tell each other the history and lore behind some of your favorite scary topics, some you might not have heard of before. So join us wherever you are and settle in for the spooks. Hi everyone, it's me. I'm Dana, and the youngest one and the scared one. And I'm Megan, the oldest and forever spooky. <laughs> As you all have known, this is a part two, uh, at least for me, of the first episode. So before we dive in and chit chat, make sure that you are caught up with that one. And now, if you're here, welcome back. How are you doing, Megan? I'm doing well. I had a very relaxed morning. Ray, my fiance, and I went to have waffles at this waffle place that's not too far from our house. It's like this hole-in-the-wall place, and their waffles are so good. So I had like the banana nut with whipped cream waffle, Mm -hmm. and it was to die for. I know people are all about waffles and pancakes or one of the other ones. I think I am a diehard waffle fan. (laughs) Sorry, I just died a little. (laughs) I went to say something and breathed in and like all of my saliva went into one of my tubes that where it didn't belong. But yeah, I totally agree with you when it comes to the butter being every square. Ray asks, they had like on the table, you know how they usually have like the cream and the the butter and a little dish or something. Yeah. So they have butter in a dish but it's actually not butter like if you look closely it says margarine whipped margarine and so ray who never asks for anything (laughs) is like do you have any butter and the woman is like um like this butter or you want real butter and he's like like the real butter and he asked for it the last time and they brought it out and she's like yeah we usually don't bring it out unless it's asked for and he uses one little pat (laughs) for the entire no waffle no and it's a big clog waffle. Clog those holes as you clog my arteries. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I need more than one little pat. So I was trying to be modest in my <laughs> in my spreading of the butter, but I used like three. So whatever. As it you should. Great. I mean, honestly. It was great. It was amazing. So morning here too. We went and got smoothies. So different, different breakfast. Sounds great. I love smoothies. And took Ferris to the dog park. So now he is zonked out next to me sleeping. He's my forever podcast buddy here. Um, Abby was joking that he's like so well behaved and like sleeping when I do the podcast. I mean, minus the fact that we take him to the dog park both times beforehand. She's like, if we leave him, we should just play the podcast back for him. So I'm like, oh, she's recording. I can see. <laughs> he'll, he'll know now. Yeah, so I am in love with our topics. I don't know your topic, but the one last week and mine's a carryover. Yeah. I'm just so happy with it. But I wanted to ask you, uh-huh. what do you think? So we talked about it a little bit. Yeah, we talked about it last week. And I talked about it a little bit this time about the media we take in and especially the media we took in as children that shaped us into who we are now. 
what do you think was the scariest thing, episode, or show, or maybe even movie you watched as a child that stuck with you to this day? Well, for real life things, Unsolved Mysteries, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. that definitely trained us on how to, you know, handle scary situations, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And then, what do you mean? Like, movies? Like, any like, movie? I remember watching the X-Files movie, obviously, like, stuck with me. But, like, do you remember you had this movie you got, I think, like, a blockbuster and it was about the Tooth Fairy. <laughs> yes! It was so stupid! When Darkness Falls, that stuck with me. Like, that's something that stuck with me forever. And, like, the episode No. Of- yeah, that stuck with me. Obviously not, like, the Tooth Fairy aspect, but, like, things that go bump in the dark. But that, like, really... That one kind of, like, stuck with me as a child. Um, that's and- so funny because I can't even remember the details of that movie. I just remember... <laughs> thinking oh my god a horror movie about a tooth fairy i think that one was scary enough for me because which one that you loved that i don't think i've ever fully watched but i know some of the topics we have maybe to talk about later on down the road is the mothman movie oh my god yeah that one that one definitely creeped me out Mm -hmm. especially like the phone you said you never finished it that's the one with really fast talking right at one scene that sounds so familiar i don't remember that scene in particular (laughs) (laughs) but i remember the phone calls like when there's a phone call and there's nothing heard or there's nothing heard for a moment and then something loud or someone loud comes on that scares me yeah like getting a phone call with just emptiness Mm -hmm. is scary so i could i could see how that would terrify you for me the the scariest of movies are like the more realistic ones like okay. the one that as soon as you asked me the question the movie that popped into my head was not silence of the lambs but the second one i don't know what it's called is that like red dragon or something like that i didn't see that one because the whatever the second one was i think that was like the third or like a i don't know like a spin off sort of thing okay. but the second one, somebody will know. I'll have to look it up. It freaked me out because something happens and I don't want to say what it is. Was it but Hannibal? What? Was it Hannibal? Yes. Okay. There's Oh, Hannibal and Hannibal Rising. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's a scene, I think it's like towards the end where one of the guys, should I say it or no? No, no. I don't want to know. It was awful. I don't want to say it to you either because I don't want to get stuck in your head. Yeah. yeah. But we all know what he does. He's not a nice man. No. He's not nice. And And so. that is why we don't cover certain topics on this show. They're scary. And then there's. Oh, no. Yeah. So I don't like to watch movies like that. But when I was a teenager, you know, I was like, ooh, let me see what this is like. And I watched it and I regret it. So I don't watch. As much as I love scary movies, I won't watch the ones like Hostel, never seen them. Will not see them. Saw. Oh, well, no. I started the porn type thing. I don't. I don't have. Yeah, I started the first one at a friend's house, and they watched the entire thing. I just left and went home because it freaked me out. Yeah, I don't have my my mind holds on to things. Mine does too. Like I mean, like for me, Scream is scary enough. <laughs> Urban legends push the envelope a bit for me. <laughs> um, 
Oh my God, Dana. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's saying urban legends push the envelope for her. Which yeah. one really pushed the envelope for you? <laughs> no. Okay. So let's be real. Megan, I remember completely. So dear listeners, let me take you back into the years, probably 2015, 2005. I was 15 years old, probably. I was around the, I think yeah, I, just, I had just graduated. Okay. So I was 15. Because you had to be 18 at least. So exactly. I was 14 or 15. And where we grew up, there was a dollar theater. And when first run shows left the theaters, they would go to this dollar theater. And you see, so you'd see maybe like months later and it'd only be a dollar to go see. Maybe a dollar fifty when it got, when inflation hit it. It's no longer there. But it was sketchy at best. Yeah. We uh, used to put tissues, or not tissues, like paper towels on the seats because they were so disgusting and like stained. But we'd still go back because who's going to knock off a dollar movie? Not yeah. us. So anyway, I was young, impressionable, innocent child. And my sister and her boyfriend. And was there anyone else who went with us? I thought it was just you and me. I thought, I thought, I thought your boyfriend, your high school boyfriend was there. Mm, I don't recall. But go ahead. So we went to the Dollar Theater to go see a movie that is known as house of wax <laughs> house of wax it was a movie from there on the early aughts with uh Chad michael murray in it paris hilton uh jared padalaki dean uh, from gilmore Girls. yeah yeah supernatural <laughs> and a slew of like the young the young stars at that time that movie scared me so much it scarred me for life. I remember we went back to the house afterwards. She snuck me in somehow. They obviously were very lax about checking for IDs. We saw it at night. We left. The movie traumatized me. I was so scared that night. I kept thinking that <laughs> a robe <laughs> on the door was like one of the <laughs> from the movie. I got so scared that I threw up. I was that scared. That yeah, is so that's, that's sad to me that you were so scared that you threw up. That's really sad. Just answer that question, that movie. That movie. That that's movie. the one. That's the one. I think I blocked that out. We talk about it still to this day, but in that moment I was like, oh, a shell or like the-. no. It was House of Wax, which is <laughs> Dana, have you tried to watch it Again? now? Yeah, now no, that you're older. I don't I don't think that would do it for me because once again it's 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 gory to a different extreme is it okay i don't remember my memory oh i is, do i do remember oh, i do I remember do. one scene and one scene is a little is it is it the cheek yep yep the cheek yep the beautiful cheek yeah that uh, one is definitely the creepiest scene of the yeah. movie and that's one that stuck with me forever i think about that all the time <laughs> sorry it's okay Well, now that I'm already spooked out beforehand, let's dive in to this week's episode. You were talking about phone calls and no one being on their line and someone calling and tracking you, which goes back into my topic, which do you remember what my topic was from last week, Megan? Men in Black, right? Men in Black. So here come Men in Black. As you recall from last week, we went over the first documented cases were they were either government employees who perfected gaslighting to an Oscar worthy level or were simply different beings that used the likeness of men in power to keep those who got too close 
too scared to talk. Now, the stories that I went over last week, I was trying to go over in chronological order from the 40s up into the 60s. And I was going to go further on, but then this one that I'm doing, I was doing some last minute research before we jumped on today. And this is something that I have seen before, but I wasn't aware of how much the aftermath tied into the Men in Black. And to say my reign was wrinkled is not saying anything. Like, it is, that's not enough. Like, it's insane. This one's known as the Spaceman photo. Now, hold on, Megan. I'm going <gasps> to this. Do you know the okay. Spaceman photo? I don't, I'm not sure. Is this, like, very recent? Like, within, yeah. what? This one's in the 60s. Okay, no, I maybe I don't. <gasps> I think I do. Are you sending me the picture now? I'm going to tell you the picture now. Okay. Is it somebody on a hill? Yes. Okay, I want to see it anyway. Yes. So I'm going to just... I'm going to screenshot it and sending it over to you right now. So I want you to get, like, live reaction of this. Okay. And don't worry. I'll make sure to post this on our social media as well. So I see it. it goes live, you can see it as well and follow along. Okay? Yeah. So this, this took place in England on May 23rd, 1964. This picture, the picture, the little girl in the picture, her name is Elizabeth, and her father, Jim Templeton, took this picture when him and his wife and their five-year-old daughter went to Berg Marsh for an outing, like they often did, because only if, it was about eight miles from where they lived, and it was a nice day, so they said, we're going to go pick some flowers, walk around. They'd been there before. Jim himself liked to take photos with his Kodak SLR camera. And he went there and he took a couple pictures of his daughter, like three in a row, sitting on a grassy hill or the knoll. And you know how they take pictures of kids. They're, they move quick. They're, yeah. You have to go, snap. You snap as many as you can to make sure you have one good one, you know? Exactly. And so he said it was a pretty average day, except the one thing he noted was that the animals that normally would graze all around the area were all kind of huddled all together. And it wasn't like a cold day or a hot day. He's like, it was a really pretty day, so they should have been, like, all around eating. But nothing really seemed to miss to him or his family, minus that little, like, queer thing, until he sent the film off to Kodak to be developed. And when he received the, the film back, the person who returned them said that it was such a shame the one picture of his daughter was ruined by that idiot. <laughs> and Jeez. Like, yeah. Um, and so he was confused. And so he looked at the photos only to spot the one in question. Now, like I told you, he took three photos in a row. So bam, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. And the one with the figure only appears in the middle photo. Okay. And while many have said that this was a doctored photo or a fake one, Jim himself was not having it he reported the incident to the police and he sent the film to kodak to be like hi can you explain this and they like investigated the film and the photo they said there's no tampering with the film and they even put out a reward a free film for a year if anyone could explain the spaceman in the photo and to this day the reward was never taken what happened the reward was never taken yes okay so he released the photo to the media because it was kind of like a, such a strange thing. And it wasn't long before that he was visited at his job 
go to the firehouse and two men in black and they only they said they were government agents under her maj- her majesty the queen and they only talked to one another as numbers they only use numbers as identifications and wait numbers- this is the same guy that that had the film developed they came to him they came to jim's work and number nine and number 10 that's what they called themselves one more question yes. how long after the film was developed because i know that they had like you said they had I think once, like, he got it back from Kodak, and he, they said, no, nothing was tampered with, he kind of, like, shared it around, I guess. I don't know exactly when okay. they showed up, but they showed up soon after. And it wasn't the next day. It was, like, later on. Okay. And they asked him to join him in their, da- in their, da- in their dark Jaguar to take him to where the photo was taken. Their Dak-ka? Their da- <laughs> now remember this was a few miles away so the entire time they're driving it's a five miles from where so it was eight miles from his home five miles away from his job okay so they're driving the five miles and they're bombarding him with questions about this day everything he saw and felt how the weather was did he notice anything strange with any other animals and to show him exactly where the photo was taken now he showed them where they where where it was, and they asked him one question that sticks out more than a, more than the rest. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. They said, "Now, where did you see the second spaceman?" <gasps> oh, I was not expecting that. <laughs> and Jim said, um, "Not only did I not see any spaceman himself, <laughs> he only caught it on the on film by accident. Like he didn't see it with his eyes." And the man, he's like, I didn't even see a second one. This left the men so angry that they stormed off and left him. Oh my God. He had a walk First of all, would you go anywhere no! with, with anybody? I'm like, oh, I'll follow you in my car, maybe. Like, I'll follow you. I don't think I would even do that just because, especially, they're not even calling each other by names oh one God. and two or 10 and whatever. Nine and 10. Nine and ten. <laughs> no, I am like, not for that Dr. Seuss crap. You I keep that to yourself. Here? Like I can like all right, I can here's the picture, I can tell you where it is. And now I thought, Megan, I thought, oh, that's so spooky in itself. Yeah. And then I dug deeper and it finds out that the same day that the photo was taken. A rocket launch count. A rocket launch was scrubbed in a place in Australia. Same day, because mm-hmm. in a place called Woomera, 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 because two cameras that were automatic, like they detect uh, movement, they caught a pair of large, unidentified humanoid figures looking just like what was spotted in the photo, walking around the launch pad. <gasps> And when they stopped the launch to figure out what it was, there was no one to be found. Oh, my God. Like, same day, same kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And not only that, but this was, like, this launch was part of a bigger, like, project. It was known as Blue Streak. And another, like, strange, like, tie-in back to it was that people did more research and found out the rocket that was supposed to be shot off that day, but it was stopped, was manufactured in a place called... Spade, Spade, Spadedum, England, which is only a few miles away from the Bergmarsh. Interesting. So this rocket was 
manufactured near where the sighting was was shipped to Australia or put together in Australia. And that same day, something happened. So obviously reporters in Australia are like, Hey, can we kind of like see the footage to see what it was? Can you share it with us? Right. But when they were, when they asked, they were told that out of all of the recordings that had been taken during the entire blue streak project, only one canister was missing. And it was the one from that footage that day. Oh my God. <laughs> that is so upsetting. Isn't that so upsetting? Yes. I was hoping to hear something about it, but I'm like, I've never heard anything about the pictures or seen these pictures with with as much spooky things as we've seen, you know? Yeah. yeah. But I was hoping that, <laughs> you know, it wasn't thrown out or lost or burned, yeah. you know, whatever. Well, Megan, um, hold on to your butts because later on we have something that will make you very happy. <gasps> okay. I'm so excited. So, but. So that was in the 60s. Now we're kind of jumping forward a bit to 1987. And we're coming back stateside. We're going to Virginia. And I had just recently seen an unsubmissary street about this one. I'm not sure if I saw it when I was visiting you back in July or not. So this one might sound more familiar to you. Okay. So we're in Virginia. And there's a radio personality named Danny Gordon. And what he liked to do some mornings was call his friend in the police op- in the police and he'd be like, Hey, anything like interesting to talk about that we can maybe use this as like a talking point on our show. And the guy's like, actually last night, multiple officers recounted seeing something unexplainable in the skies. And Danny is not really a believer at this point, but he's like, this is a great kind of like joke story. Mm-hmm. He ran with it and he said, kind of talked about, did you see, did you see the, the saucer? Did you see this? And it had a huge reaction with his audience. He kept it up for a couple days afterwards looking into the incident. And he's thinking there must be a simple explanation. Maybe it was planes or aircraft from the bases nearby trying to refuel. When he reached out, he asked, he was told by the Pentagon that planes were barred from refueling that low. They can't go that low down. Because I'm assuming that in this part of Virginia, there's probably more mountain stuff too. So it's probably not safe for them to go that low. Mm-hmm. so he's a little more intrigued now and he's trying to investigate and him and his friend go to look to where most of the settings are have been and they actually see one but they are so shocked in the moment that they don't take a picture of anything whoa but he's like i need i need to see this i need i need so finally he's looking again and on october 22nd him and his friend not only see the object, they take a picture of it this time. <gasps> He's Good. thrilled. He's like, okay, I'm going to make a press conference the next day. I've seen it. This is great. He receives a phone call. The CIA and government are very interested in what the matter and that he should leave it be, though. And he's like, mm, that's great. Love the warning. I'm going to keep doing it, though. So he goes on with the conference, but the sighting, only later returning home to find that his house was broken into And everything was strewn about. It was a complete mess, but nothing was taken. Hmm. He thinks they're looking for the photos, but he had everything on him. So this is October. And so he's like, this is great. December rolls around. And in a shopping mall again, there's another sighting. And Danny was present. And he took more photos. Oh, my God. The fact that he has been present for two or three now. Yes. That's pretty amazing. That all of them, and then more, 
and it's not just alone. There's like people. It's a shopping shopping mall. Yeah, that is um, not. That's not common. And like, there's like he said he talked to the defense branch, the Pentagon, and they said that while the government con- confirmed that they're they do not pose a threat to Wythe County, Virginia. Mm. And so he has now kind of become entrenched in this thing. Like he's still a news report. He's still not news. He's still a radio broadcaster, but he still enjoys talking about the UFOs because the sightings are kind of keeping up. And now we're in March of the following year on March 19th, 1988. He was packing for a conference for broadcasters in Virginia beach. And he receives a phone call from a person who self-identified as a retired military intelligence officer. And this man told him to actually record the the conversation because he said he wanted it to be on record that he warned Danny. Oh. The man said that his own son had died of quote-unquote leukemia because of his UFO research. And he said the same thing might happen to Danny because the government didn't like what he was looking into. Oh. And that's that's scary. Right? And it's like if someone had died, he might have like been like a grief-stricken person who was like, they must have tried to, they did this. It wasn't like a horrible thing that happened. It has to be explained, you know? Mm-hmm. But I can see someone like grief-stricken do that. But then the, the man believed that they wanted to quiet him either through a chemical warfare or through Danny's children. And interestingly enough, the same week he went to Virginia Beach, there was an outbreak of hepatitis in that area hmm. and he claimed that he would have Danny was like well nothing happened to me and my children it is kind of strange maybe he would have believed it if one of them got sick you know with it mm-hmm. so <clears throat> now here's when the men in black come into play less than a month later two men come to his home and they're saying they're from a magazine and they want to interview him about everything and they come into his home and they talk to him for about 45 minutes One's talking to him and the other one is like walking around taking photos of the house. And they tell Danny, this is great, awesome. We will send you a copy of this newspaper or magazine when it's printing. But when he didn't receive it, he's like, huh. So he calls them and they're like, no. He's like, those men don't work for us. We're not doing a story on this. Nobody knows who they really were. Oh, my God. So they well, they had, like, for 45 minutes, so he's talking to one of them. And the other one's kind of moving around the house taking pictures. And so a few weeks later, he goes to catalog and, like, reorganize all of his photographs. And when he went through the negatives, he realized that the negatives from the shopping mall were missing. <gasps> so those are gone. And then he – so he thinks that there might have been, like, something there that he – didn't realize that he that he, that he missed because they kept they, they left some of the other stuff but those ones were missing yeah and unfortunately two months later he basically was so stressed about everything that he ended up collapsing due to severe exhaustion and he was told that continuing with his ufo research could jeopardize his health mm-hmm. so ever since then he's kind of been like no he doesn't do anymore he the only time he said he has not had a ufo sighting since December of 1990, and he does not plan to do any more research. He, that's the last time he had a sighting. Yes, he didn't talk about what he saw. So that was like a that was almost two years later, but 
Wow. Yeah. Poor guy. Exactly. Okay, the next two one, I have two more. And these ones are taking place in the 2000s. They're both kind of short, but they're gonna be the ones that you've been looking for the most. This is the video footage of the men in black, okay? Okay. Now, I've looked into this a bit, and part of me still isn't sure if this is the one I remember, because I remember talking to you prior to this uh, about seeing a video of the men in, men in suits walking away. But this one made me feel validated that while they might not be the alien beings with glowing red eyes like last week's, there might be some proof of these agents. So this event takes place in 2008. It's in Niagara Falls, New York at a hotel. The hotel manager's name is Shane Sovar. I think it's pronounced S-O-V-A-R. And Shane and a security guard on shift witness a UFO. And they report it. And three weeks later, from like three weeks after the sighting, Shane gets informed by staff that is like shaken and scared that two men in suits came looking for both him and the security guard by name. And these men were described as a very pale and having next to no hair. And they became very upset because neither individual was on shift that day. Hmm. And they walked away and never returned. Now, however, at the end of this, I'm going to send you a link, or you want to see it now, of the, the footage yourself. Let me see. Of the men? Of, yeah. They have, they found them on security camera. Okay. I'm going to see TV. I'm going to look at it real quick. And so, so he had just seen, um, how many days before had he witnessed? It was three weeks later. Oh, three weeks. Okay. Yeah. So, but it is like, you see them walking. They don't have, they look really scary. They said like almost not human-like and like very pale and like bulbous head which reminds me of the people from fringe oh i don't remember fringe version of the men in black who are like the bald no hair type people oh you know i don't know if i finished the show so i'm not sure it's for the this part their men in black have been in from the beginning and they're very um i guess i just don't remember writing code which reminds me of that, and it's just full-on goose pimples because it's just they walk in with a purpose, and they, like, hassled the people, and they walked from the hotel and just walked out. That is creepy. Okay. Now I'm going to end on a short and sweet one because this is what I was teasing about last week, which is the event that involved Dan Aykroyd. Oh, my God, yes. How did I forget? <laughs> so Dan Aykroyd, while we know him as the black suit wearing second half of the Blues Brothers, he has also spoken about his perceived interaction with the men in black suits. There was a time when he was working on a show dealing with the paranormal. It was a show he was going to film and he was working on. And he's at a studio one day working and filming when he steps outside to take a phone call. The phone call was from Britney Spears. <laughs> really? Trying to talk to him about appearing in SNL when she was hosting, which at first didn't make sense to me until I realized that he played her father in the Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman masterpiece that is Crossroads. Yeah. And side note, because I kind of love it, did you know that Crossroads was written by Chandra Rhimes of Grey's Anatomy and Private Practice and Scandal? I did not know that. 
Yeah. So whenever I, I think I will try to watch Crossroads like in the recent years, and I saw her name, and I was like, wait a second. Wow. Yeah. That's so, awesome. I digress. When I first read about this event, there was no date attached to it, but I did a little digging, and I saw they both appeared on SNL season twenty-seven, episode twelve, which is which which aired in February of two thousand two. So this event took place obviously before then. Mm-hmm. So. He's outside talking to Miss Spears when he notices a black Ford parked across the way. And a man steps out and is standing there, just staring him down. <gasps> I'm scared. And he obviously is, like, uncomfortable because, one, who are you? And so he turns away for just a moment. And when he turns back, both the man and the vehicle are gone. Oh, my God. Now, this is an odd thing in itself, but what sealed it for Dan was that the moment he stepped back into the studio, he found out that his show had been canceled and he was ordered to stop filming immediately. Oh, my God. And so, obviously, some people doubt this claim, but he says, quote, unquote, I, he knew he knew what he saw. Yeah. It means that there's some kind of connection between the men in black and the end of his paranormal show. That is so interesting. Right? So yeah. there is just so much about this topic. And I know we talked about the end of last week's episode, but I still don't know. I feel like it's some sort of – I feel like, yeah, they're still there. That's, I said what I said. What about you, Megan? I definitely think – sorry, a, a big branch just fell on the our roof – Okay. Heard like a big crash, but I definitely I know that they exist, and I know that there is a small part of the government that works in this field, and I think that they are the Men in Black. Yeah, and they know a lot more than the stuff that we hear about in the news, and they're just now saying, you know, yeah, 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 we we've known this stuff exists. Yeah, but. If they're just saying this little bit, then you know that there's a bunch more that because we don't you know. Because you know that they, they vetted through so many things to be like, what can they handle right now? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, for sure. For sure a believer. Forever a, a believer. One moment. Abby's bringing in my charger because my computer is warning me. To He's going to die. He's going to die. And so I said, not today government out to get me (laughs) (laughs) stop talking (laughs) thank you abigail yeah i was thoroughly engrossed i was up i know you called me at like nine last night and i was going to bed but then i was awake at 11 and i said you know what let me just do some more research and i was up until like 12 31 o'clock oh my god more which is where the astronaut one came in, the spaceman. And I was like, I love that one. Thanks. I think that one's my favorite. At, well, I, that or Dan Aykroyd. I don't know. For some reason. I think, yeah, I think the spaceman one is the one that really, I feel, unites people on both sides about it. Yeah. And that one just like gave me the chill, especially where did you see the second one? <gasps> oh, yeah. Yeah, so that one, that one, that one got to me. And that's such a cute picture, too. It is. I'd like, if I was that daughter, I'd be like, yeah, that's what I'm keeping. Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's all I have for you today. I am 
so excited to hear what you have because I have no idea. I was trying to trick Abby into telling me earlier this week because <laughs> listeners, we tell <laughs> what we're doing so we don't do the same topic. Abby is a vault, unfortunately. So, well, poor Abby. I did tell her what I was doing. And then somewhere along the way, I actually gave her a subject that I was doing, told her, oh, wait, never mind. I'm doing this. And then I changed it again. Okay. So she doesn't even know what I'm oh, doing. It's a surprise for everyone now. Yeah. And actually, it wasn't even on our list of, like, things to do. Okay. So it just kind of evolved. So the subject I have for you is a board game. Sounds simple enough, right? It was patented in 1890 by Elijah Jefferson Bond. His grave is actually in Baltimore, Maryland. And well, I'll tell you in just a second because I want you to try to guess what this is. I'm sure you already know. It's a family game that has the mysterious ability to answer your questions. Is it the Ouija board? It is. No! It is. I'm sorry. But so Elijah Jefferson Bond. What? We have, Abby and I have a rule in this household that those are never allowed. If our child brings home one of those, no, burned, gone. <laughs> Not burned. Maybe like just, I don't know. Go ahead. Continue on. The guy that patented it, Elijah Bond, his grave is actually, it has a Ouija board etched on the back. Oh. And then on the front, it says like inventor of the Ouija board or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this game was advertised as actually having already been proven to work while at the patent office. Nothing too intricate either. It's just a simple board with the yes or no, the yes in the top left corner, the no in the top right, the alphabet splayed across the middle, along with the numbers zero through nine, and the word goodbye lays along the middle bottom of the board. The game comes with a sort of triangular heart-shaped planchette that players use by placing their hands lightly on, waiting for the planchette to move in hopes of it answering their questions. Now, you already knew what it was as soon as I said, you know, a board game that answers questions. Yeah. Well, um, at first I was thinking, I, my brain just blanked on board game. I was like, Magic 8-Ball? And then I was like, no, <laughs> I'm going to do that. I'm going to just scare the living dead out of me and do weed. <laughs> Yeah. So like it's well known. Everybody knows about it. The Ouija board became super popular in the 1900s and understandably so after so much tragedy in previous years with world with the first world war and then 1918's pandemic. People use the board in hopes of communicating with those who had passed and hopefully gaining some sort of comfort from reuniting in some way. So around this time, too, was the height of spir- the spiritualist- spiritualism movement. Yes. <laughs> Annunciate. Said to have started in the 1840s, but got really big in the 1920s. So during this time, we saw activities like seances, table turning, or tipping, and then, of course, the Ouija board. Nowadays, the majority of the stories you hear about the Ouija board are negative, but there are some people out there who have claimed to have had positive experiences with this board. One in particular is a woman named Rebecca Rosen. Have you ever heard of her? No, I haven't. 
Okay. She's a working medium, but she wasn't always somebody who communicated with the other side. It really only began in college after she was struggling with depression and a sleep disorder where she began actually eating in her sleep. So her grandmother, Babe, who'd passed away years ago, began communicating with her on one random day at the bookstore through automatic writing. Do you know what automatic writing is? Basically, she she was writing, but... Isn't it like um, they're almost like not possessed in a negative way, but like the spirit takes over? Yes. Them and they're using like their body as a vessel to get the writing done? Yeah, kind of like that. Okay. So her grandmother, babe, gave her great comfort during this hard time and really opened Rebecca up to the whole, to like this whole new perspective on life and death. So fast forward a year after she graduated from college, like a lot of teens and young adults, she dabbled with the Ouija board along with friends. Oh, young adults you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Her friends just kind of thought of it as, like, a silly little game. But Rebecca took it. I guess if you're, like, not like us who are deaf, like, afraid, you're like, oh, it's a fun little game. What's the worst that can happen? Well, we were also raised, like, devoutly religious. And, like, that was known. Like, Like, you do not touch that. Yeah. So naturally, later in life, I did try one. But I know. You never knew that. But now you know. I will tell you this. Nothing happened. Sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> Spoiler alert. And downer. Nothing happened. Yeah. We actually brought it to a, a haunted hotel. Oh. That wow. might. Literally asking for things to happen. Mm-hmm. Ray and I, we brought it to a hotel. I, I mean, like, I was just, I was rebellious, you know? And I was like, that's it. I'm doing everything that I was told I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. So... I did that. I don't have it anymore. I actually threw it out because I'm like, I do not want to invite anything in exactly that I don't want in my home. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, I brought it to a hotel that I know is haunted. And I actually know somebody who had an experience there. Somebody who does not like anything paranormal or anything of that nature. So her experience was like a terrifying one for her. But anyways, brought it there tried it nothing happened ray and i went to bed put the the game the board on the table that was in the hotel room and we had earlier that night asked you know is anybody here and since nothing happened we just gave it up went to bed next day i get up and the planchette was moved to yes Did you close it out properly? It was Ray. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, Ray could not hold back his, like, you know, laughter. Oh, God. I would have simply passed away. No. But anyways, so she was doing this with her friends. Rebecca was playing this game. Her friends are like, yeah, this is just a silly game. And Rebecca took it more seriously. So she ended up eventually playing it even when her friends weren't around. Mm. One night she took the board into her room and she asked spirit to communicate with her. And she got a response from somebody who said 
it was her angel. So the next evening, she went back to her room, lit a candle in the corner behind her, and again, called on her angel. After a few minutes, her guardian angel came through and said her name was Maya. But like any normal person would, she was like, oh my God, am I just crazy? And is this like all in my head? What's going on? But before she could even try to convince herself that she was making it all up, and as though Maya was giving her proof, Maya spelled out candle dripping twice. And if you remember, she had lit a candle behind her. So she turned around to look and jumped up to blow it out because the candle was indeed dripping onto her floor. But the Ouija board... It was behind her, you said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she never had, at least from what I read in the book, she did not have any negative experiences. And for her, it was something positive. But the Ouija board is a, a gamble. And you don't always win big like Rebecca did. Yeah. Every time you play, you're opening up a door. And before you can shut it, someone or something can enter. Mm. But what happens when whoever is entering is not your guardian angel, not even close, not even a friend. This next experience is the story of Mel Trejo and her family, a Catholic family of five. Her parents, Jose and Maria, and their three daughters. Jackie is the youngest, Mel is the middle child, and then Maria is the oldest. Since the oldest daughter shares a name with her mother, I'll refer to the daughter as Maria and her mother as, like, her mom or her mother. Got it. So her parents were from El Salvador, now living in Texas, where they wanted to create a really good life for their children. They didn't have a lot of money, but in 1988, the family is able to purchase a home that they love in Houston, Texas. So the family moves into their home. They're so happy. New home, fresh start. But of course, like with any big move, it is a bit of an adjustment for the girls. They're now attending all new schools. And Mel, in particular, is finding it difficult to fit in. Being 13, in general, is like a really hard age, you know? So being 13 and starting at a new school where most of the kids, I'm sure, already knew each other. The peers probably were together since elementary school. You know, that's usually how it works. So they had like this built-in friendship already. So it was a challenge for Mel. But what's most difficult for her is that there's a bully at school and she has her sights set on Mel. It's Yeah, it's not long after moving in that the family is sitting around the dining room table, eating dinner, just kind of catching up. And Maria, the oldest of the girls, brings up a game that she heard about through her friends at school. Now, the family's super interested, wants to know more about this game. And Maria's like, we have to get it. It's this board that you ask questions to, and it replies with answers to your questions. The sisters are, like, so intrigued and excited, and they are begging their parents, you know, please, please, please buy this game for us. Their mother had never heard of the game. Yeah. Never heard of the game, but she agrees, thinking probably this will bring the the girls closer together. 
whatever. So time passes and the day finally arrives when the family gets that game in their hands. The girls are so pumped to play. They go to their shared bedroom and they're getting everything set up. Before beginning the game, though, Maria tells the girls there are a few rules that my friends at school told me about that I just want to share with you guys because we need to play the game properly. And the rules are as follow, follows. Number one, never play the game alone. Number two, you have to always end the game with a goodbye. Yes. And lastly, and probably the most inconvenient considering their age, was you couldn't play it at your home, your own home, like ever. Oh. So after hearing all of the rules and already breaking the third, they begin to play. The three girls sit around the board, excited with anticipation. They put their hands on the planchette and ask their first question. They patiently wait and wait and wait and nothing is happening until finally the planchette begins to move. As they see this happening, they also notice Jackie laughing and it's quickly realized that Jackie has been pulling their leg this whole time and was the one moving the planchette. <laughs> so now nothing's happening and there's no movement. The girls are bored and ready to move on to something else. So they're like, "Beh!" they push the game aside. <gasps> I don't think they actually closed it with a goodbye. And if that's the case, breaking yet another rule. So the girls are going about their lives, going to and from school, and Mel is becoming increasingly unhappy by her situation with the school bully, Erica. You okay? That's my child. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's to the point where she's so afraid to even leave her classroom, fearing she'll run into Erica in the hallways. I know she's miserable, but she doesn't confide in anyone about the situation. Oh. Hey, if you're young and listening to this one, thank you Two, If something's bullying you, tell someone that's all. Yeah, seriously do it. Right, continue on. And you're not alone. Mm -mm. Yeah. yeah. So she doesn't tell anybody and at home yet another day of feeling alone and unhappy she decides to pull out the Ouija board. Oh, no. Yeah. She places her hands on the planchette and asks if there's anybody there. After a little while, Mel feels a pulling sensation coming from the planchette. And before she knows it, the planchette has moved all the way up to the word yes. Excited now that she has someone to listen to her. Oh. She then asks the board if it can help her get rid of the bully at school. Oh. The planchette again moves to yes. Mel is probably feeling seen and heard and not so alone. And the next day, Mel goes to school. But when she gets to the classroom, she notices Erica is nowhere to be seen. Maybe she's sick, you know, or out for the day. Mel sits down. But not long after she sits down, the teacher announces to the class that Erica will no longer be in the school. And she's permanently been excluded from it. So Mel is, of course, now ecstatic 
this is like a huge weight lifted off of her. Yeah. She begins to think of her new acquaintance now. You know, after this happened, did they have any part in making this happen? And wondering this, the first thing Mel does is go home, run upstairs, take the board out, and ask that very question. And she gets an immediate reply. Yes. Grateful, she tells the board, thank you. Mm. And within seconds and without any prompting, the planchette begins to move again. But this time, it's moving in circles. She's nervous about what's happening now because this is not what it has normally done in the past. Mm. But then it begins to spell something out. I am your friend. Oh, no, he's not. So now Mel (laughs) feels like everything is falling into place for her. Her bully is gone, and now she has a new friend. Now it's the evening of that same day. Maria's watching Jackie and Mel while their parents go out for the evening. Mel isn't feeling so well, so she goes into the kitchen and wants to grab some medicine. But while she's in there, she can hear footsteps just outside the door that lead to the backyard. Now, this is alarming considering the backyard is completely gated and locked. So nobody, nobody should be back there. Mel knows something's not right, and she continues to listen. And the steps are moving closer and closer and closer until they stop just outside of the door. So she runs to tell her sister Maria and the three girls go back to the kitchen to listen for the footsteps. When they get there, everything's quiet until they begin to hear the footsteps again. But this time it's inside the house. Absolutely not. On the second floor. So they begin to walk towards the stairs and Mel calls out, actually considering that it's maybe their mother, even though she had left a while ago. But, you know, she doesn't want to jump to any crazy conclusions. And this Mm -hmm. seems like the most rational. So the girls continue up the stairs trying to figure out where this noise is is actually coming from. They arrive on the second floor and they can still hear, hear the footsteps. So... Maybe it is their mother after all, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mel arrives at her parents' door, grabs the knob, and begins to turn it. But when she does, all of the sounds stop. Opening the door, they come to realize the room is empty, and whatever is making the noise is now gone. When the parents come back later, that evening, the same evening, the girls relate to them what had happened and their father responds in a manner that's angry and dismissive and just totally unlike himself. So that was a very scary incident for the girls. But after this incident, the girls just kind of, you know, move on with their lives. Mel every day continues to come home from school, play with the Ouija board, talking with her friend, not, not knowing a lot about them and wanting to know more. She begins ask questions to kind of get to know them a little bit better after all now sadly she considers the board her best 
friend. Mm. Yeah. She's pleasantly surprised when she asks if they're male or female, and it answers female. So one evening, the girls are all in bed sleeping when Mel notices the sound of feet shuffling. No, I don't, I don't, I don't mess with shuffling feet. Becoming more alert, she tunes into the sounds and realizes that it's coming closer and closer to her bed. Since she shares a room with her sisters, she, like, calls out for her sister, her older sister, Maria, but she's asleep and doesn't respond. So Mel summons all the courage that she has and gets up and gets ready to run one foot in front of the other, but not going much further before someone grabs her ankle and pulls her back towards the bed. Absolutely not. I don't know. Yep. I would have passed away. Yep. She's able to get free and jumps into the bed with Maria. Her parents, responding to all the commotion, come into the room wondering what on earth is going on. It's the middle of the night and their parents are completely over this. Mel's father is pissed and tells her she's crazy. And her mother, realizing this all began after getting that stupid game. So she says, you need to get rid of it. So she takes the game, the mother takes the game, takes it outside, and throws it in the trash can. There. Mm-hmm. Done. Over with. But this wasn't going to stop Mel from speaking with her only friend. And a few days later, Mel says that she felt guided, guided to make a board on her own. And she does. With scraps of paper and a glass for a planchette, she resumes her daily chats. One night, Mel is in the kitchen with her headphones on, listening to music while getting herself some water. She then begins to hear something over her headphones. Pulling them off, she realizes the sound is actually just her dad speaking. But when she listens closer, his volume is growing louder and louder and louder, and she notices he's not speaking, but rather he's chanting in a language she does not know. Her mother is witnessing all of this too, and not knowing what to do, she tells Mel to pray for her father. It's obvious he's not in control of what's happening to himself, and (laughs) this is what changes everything for the Trejo family. Mel, hoping to save her family, confides in her BFF, aka the Ouija board, and asks if she'll help her family. But an argument is brewing outside of her room at this time. And her parents are fighting like never before. Their mother says his behavior was extremely bizarre. Like he was not acting like himself at all. The fight continues and Maria begins having this extreme feeling of anger. So much so that she grabs a gun and points it at her father. Her mother then springs into action, hoping to stop the situation from escalating. She grabs Maria's arm, but as she does this, the gun goes off. (gasps) It misses Jose and instead hits the ceiling. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. This is the last straw, though, for for their mother. Because she's like, you know what? The only way 
that I feel like is the you best way. Murder seems like it's a no-no here. No, no. So she thinks the best way to protect them now is to just leave. So she takes the girls and moves into an apartment. But even with the move, life does not seem to get any easier for Mel. And she's feeling even more isolated. The only friend she has is this board. And she feels like she already knows everything about this board. But then she thinks of a question she hasn't asked yet. And she goes to the board. Where are you from? And the board, her closest friend and confidant, answers back from H E L L. Oh my God. Absolutely terrified, Mel grabs the makeshift game and places it on the dresser before running the hell out of the room. Too late, Mel. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when she feels as though she's in the clear, she hears a huge crash come from the room that she was just in. So she feels the need. I don't know why, but she feels the need to see what happened in there. And she goes back in and discovers the glass that was used as the planchette had broken into a million little pieces and is now all over the floor. And the paper, the paper letters that she made are everywhere. (laughs) But even more disturbing is now there's a voice that she's hearing calling her name and leading her under the bed. (laughs) So Mel walks over to the bed, peeks underneath, and reluctantly pulls out what she's been led to. Do you, do you think, do you think I would put any part of my body under that bed, including my face, to see what it is? No. No way! I would have run run to mom immediately. I'm like, mommy, I did something very wrong. Please, <laughs> you need to handle it. Even handle at this it. age, I'd be like, no, uh, uh-uh, uh, doesn't exist, right? But she does. She goes, looks underneath, and what do you think is under there? I am so afraid because is it? It cannot be. Is it another Ouija board? Dana, she's stunned because what she has in her hands is something that has already been thrown away a long time ago. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. It's the Ouija board. Now, Megan, my brain is broken right now. Can you tell me what year this was again? This was 1988. I think it was 1988 through 1990. Okay. I mean, like, so she's now, it wasn't just in that home, the first home that they moved into. It was also, now they're in this new apartment and it's happening too. Yeah. And like, they're like 30 bucks looking at it right now. Like, I'm looking at it. Oh. Now. So I'm trying to get like, and they didn't have enough money. They weren't like, you, you were saying the parents like saved up money to make things happen. You're going to just buy another Ouija board. I know. Right. And also, I was looking at an advertisement of a Ouija, for a Ouija board from way back, I think, like, probably when it was first created. And mm-hmm. it was it was selling for a dollar. Yeah, I think I remember that. They were very cheap back then. But I don't know yeah. if – I don't know, I don't know if that – the translation of – like, even, like, a dollar fifty in 1985 is equivalent to, like, $4 today. 
Mm. So with inflation. So yeah. Well, this was scary. These unnerving incidents are not only happening to Mel now, though. They're also happening to her mother. So her mom is sleeping one night and she wakes up to adjust her blankets because it's freezing in the house. And as she's doing this, she hears footsteps outside the door. She just knows it's not the girls. So she gets up and where her door handle should be, there's just a hole. I guess the door handle wasn't there. Um, (laughs) I remember when we first moved into the the (laughs) house. (laughs) I had a door like that, so I understand. Been there, done that. Yeah, special with your no, (laughs) with your large people. You're not special. Okay, I just did a quick inflation calculation from like 1901, like a dollar fifty then to now. It was about $52. So they weren't cheap back Whoa. then. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, that's pricey. Yeah. Sorry. Continue on. <laughs> yeah. So Mel's mother goes to look through the, the door's little peephole. And she just kind of like peeks through it and sees <laughs> who's walking around up there. And what she sees is not human. This creature is now hitting and pushing against her door. So she tries to grab what she can to barricade the door so this thing does not come in. And after a few moments, just as quickly as it began, it stops. She doesn't see anything. She doesn't hear anything. So her first thought is, let me go check on the girls. So she runs to the girls to check on them and thankfully they're fine whatever it was has not attacked the girls things are beginning to escalate and their mother knows that this thing whatever it is is pure evil and now one day after this incident mel is helping out her mom in the kitchen they're preparing dinner mel's chopping vegetables the mother's cooking and Do you know when you get that feeling like somebody's watching you? Yeah. Well, Mel has this feeling. And she tells her mom. And her mom is just like, stop trying to get out of doing your chores and just continue what you're doing. So Mel does, but she's pushing through and she still has that feeling. And she glances into the room next to the kitchen and sees a very old woman with gray hair and gray tinted skin Mm. wearing what seemed like a nightdress. But by the time she goes to point this woman out to her mother, the old woman's gone. No. This woman was creepy and Mel is sure of what she saw. So now she can't even continue helping her mother because she's beginning to feel really sick. It's getting harder and harder for her to breathe at this point. And her mother sees her actually turning purple. And eventually she loses consciousness. Her mother's watching all of this happen and is so scared. Then all of a sudden, Mel sits back up. Hands fly above her head. And she begins to chant with her hands moving in very unnatural 
directions in air. I love my hypothetical children. I have no children. If my child did that, I don't think I wouldn't just scream and like push (laughs) them away. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what I would do. But this has gotten to the point where the mother's very concerned. Yeah. She's concerned. And now she's also concerned about her daughter's health. Mel is clearly unwell. So there's a big change in her eating and sleeping habits among everything else going on with her. So her mom takes her to a bunch of different kinds of doctors to try and figure out what could possibly be doing this to her. But at the end of the day, there's still no answers. That is until she gets advice from from one of her friends who tells her to see a doctor she thinks might be able to help. A curandera. Her name is Alice Rodriguez. She described herself as, quote, a healer, a shaman, a person who's, who uses traditional rituals and white magic to heal body and soul and spirit. What was her title again? A curandera. C-U-R-A-N-D-E-R-A. Oh, I've never heard of that before. Mm-hmm. They, in the, in the show that I watched, she actually called her a witch doctor, but I think that's, you know, just like slang. And that's not a, yeah, it's probably like a, not a nice term. Exactly. So. Okay. So they, sorry, I was like, I like that word. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty word. So they take Mel in to see her. And just like you would at your primary care physician, they tell her everything that's going on, what Mel's been experiencing. And what the shaman tells her is scarier than anyone could have imagined. She discovers Mel is being possessed by a demonic presence. Desperate for any help she can get, she decides to go through with whatever the shaman suggests at this point. The shaman sits Mel down in front of a mirror and tells her mother to come close and look in the mirror too. (laughs) And when she does, it isn't Mel's reflection that she sees. It's the, the old, old lady? Yep. It's the no. old woman Mel had seen in her home. The shaman begins to ask Mel questions like, what does she do in her spare time? And Mel is listing all of these very normal things off. But then she finishes with the Ouija board. And the shaman's like, well, there it is. We found the root cause of this problem. You need to get rid of that board now. So Mel's mom calls Jose while she's there and tells him, get rid of it, find it, just destroy it immediately. And they do. After that, the next step they need to take is a big one. And that's an exorcism. (laughs) This entailed Mel being sprayed with holy water and then being surrounded like with prayers and the holy water while it was hitting her. Mel said she was so scared and what she felt was not water, but it felt like she was being hit and punched instead of just sprayed with with water. Whoa. Yeah. She said she also felt like her insides were on fire. But eventually everything stopped. 
after the exorcism and from the moment the board was destroyed, all of Mel's strange experiences vanished. <gasps> she and her sisters are now adults, very successful, and none of them have experienced any sort of paranormal activity since that. Mel is sure that it was the board that brought the evil into their lives and said she will never, ever touch a Ouija board again. Good job, Mel. That's absolutely right. right. (laughs) Yeah. So, Dana, I am curious. Would you ever? I know you haven't. Would you ever? No, absolutely not. Like I said at the beginning, Abby and I, while we love, like, spiritualist stuff and we love certain aspects of it, and leaning leaning into that certain aspects like tarot or different things like that we have a strict rule and i agree with it because i i push the limit sometimes no ouija board because like you said it's inviting things in i had never heard of the rule about not doing it in your own house which makes sense Mm -hmm. but like i'd always like did i close it out properly didn't it right like, not only that it invites things into the area even not to go in your own house which it could attach to things there it could attach to, like to you or different yeah things. i feel that our family especially i think i don't know probably both sides our families are very like empaths and i feel like we're almost like open to more things so i we've feel had like experiences it, so yeah so i feel like it would be more apt to have something attached and I I'm not offering that up yeah it's it's a tool it's a divination tool and just like any tool it can be misused and I know it's I mean you're dealing with another dimension so there are some spirits out there that are masquerading as friends like they did with Mel and it turns out to be something truly evil evil so, but um, yeah, they can be definitely very scary. But yeah, those are my, that, those are my stories for today. That will, that will live with me, especially the fact, like, like, like you said, I doubt it was anyone in her family who like picked up the Ouija board. I mean, like kids are weird and stuff like that, but then put it under her bed. But the fact that the entity moved with them. Right. You wonder how that happened because Mel clearly didn't do it. Yeah. She had made her own makeshift one. So, like, she was called to it. I feel that that is, I hate that aspect. Because also, you have to think about it, how much, how her energy was that it attached to her. Mm -hmm. Because there have been, it's it's always interesting to me to figure out, like, there are objects that have something attached to them or places that have something attached to them. But imagine having something attached to you. Or it could have been the Ouija board that was brought over by some, like, maybe maybe one of her sisters that was like, oh, no, it's actually really fun. Let's keep it and, like, and then hit it under the bed. But yeah. either way, it was there and that had that attachment to it. Oh, yeah. And I remember, like, reading about it or, like, hearing other podcasts talking about the Ouija board. And it always, like... It makes me nervous too that if I accidentally not active, if I bought it and then got nervous, would me just throwing it away or to break it or burn it? Would would any of that make it worse? Yeah, right. And it's like, did I close it up properly? And it's like I have to remind myself five times when I unplugged uh, 
it's the curling iron. I'm like, goodbye, but goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Right. Goodbye. <laughs> Please leave. You're not welcome anymore. Goodbye. So Yeah, I get that completely. Actually, you know our cousin Stanley, he's passed now. But did you know he had to go to a curundera? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, because um his the home that they lived in, I'm not sure where they were living, if it was Puerto Rico or Yeah. Or up north. Oh, but yeah. uh, but the father one day he witnessed his father being pulled on the bed in different <gasps> directions. Like by arms, legs being pulled, and the father screaming. And there were different incidents that happened in the home and then Stanley got like they were bothering Stanley so they actually took him to see the curandera who took an egg and like rubbed the egg all over his body and then told him to take this egg go somewhere you will never go again throw the egg behind you over your shoulder and walk do not turn around for anything so stanley went to a place that he said he would never go again had the egg in his hand threw it over his shoulder and what do you know happened dana was something calling him yep something started calling him to turn around look at him turn around and he just kept walking. He never turned around again. And nothing happened since then. Megan, I have never heard that story in my entire years of living. <laughs> I hate that more than anything. Yeah. So, oh, my goodness. Obviously, I, we don't, I don't mess with the demons and the yeah. other things like that. I am like, hmm, no, no thank you. I will respect that. And you can live there. <laughs> Yeah. Please don't bother. Or Abby says, you're not welcome here. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> I know. After I was doing this research, I was finishing up last night, actually. And I'm like, I do not feel that great now. And I'm like, angels, please stand on each corner of my home and protect this house. And yeah. as I walk into my room, I the, the blinds in my room, it was late at night. Nobody's home. The cats you are bet. I would have been up watching like New Girl until Ray got home. I'd be like, all the lights are on. We're not going to bed. Well, I went to close the blinds that were in the bedroom. It was open. Nope. Sleep on the couch tonight. <laughs> I got so scared because I froze for a second because I saw my own reflection. Megan, I would have, I would have, I would have paid good money to see that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Well. That was, I mean, it's only the second episode, but Megan, that was my favorite story of yours. <laughs> and I think, especially the real life application at the end, really did it in for me. So, you're welcome. Thank you all for listening. That's all for episode two of Scary Stories to Tell Your Sister. We hope you provided enough spooks to get you through your week at least. We want to thank you for listening and being here with us. And we hope that you join us again next week for another dose of history and horror. As a reminder, if you like the show, please rate and review. It means so much to us. And check us out on social media as well. So that's it for next time. Until then. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye. Also, make sure to close out your Ouija boards. <laughs> and unplug your, unplug your straighteners. Exactly. <laughs> Bye. Bye. That's it. Yay.